You want me to get some background music going or something? Well, yeah, we're we're not in our normal setup, so we just want to make sure we capture the audio. But it should be, but we don't want to promise we were talk, just tell people we talked to you. I love Grumpy Joe. We tried to do a cool thing where we would go Idaho on the road and then script vandals at home the last couple of years. That's where we're putting that shit. Please send, send, uh, send my high bubba back from me, will you? Welcome back, Tribe from the North, Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals. I am your host, Chris Hammond, and with me today, I have Brian Marceau. Hey guys, good to be yeah, here. There we go. And I have my uh, Everton also repping, Alex Boatman. How you doing, the Boat Boatman? You know, just uh, enjoy another day of quarantine. Yeah, it, it's been a quite the quarantine. We had a very exciting day, which we'll all be talking about here a little bit shortly. This is our second time all hanging out today. Uh, so we'll get right into that. And we want to thank our sponsors for the whole season, Montucky Cold Snack, because this episode wouldn't be possible without them. Ad read, top of my head. Ain't nothing like cracking a Montucky Cold Snack, an ultra-refreshing light beer born in majestic Big Sky Country. The best part is when you crack a snack, you're giving back. Montucky Cold Snacks donates 8% of profits back to local causes, even right here in Idaho. Supporting organizations like the CW Hogs and the Idaho Food Bank. Yeehaw, that's freaking awesome. Montucky Cold Snacks, a light American lager for pow pow rippers, gator wranglers, pony riders, and badass do-gooders. Visit MontuckyColdSnacks.com today to find out how to get, yes, some snacks. All right, Vandal fans, so we have one of the most electric personalities from the University of Idaho's history. We got Coach Rob Akey on the line with us. How you doing, Coach? Man, I'm doing well. How the world are y'all doing today? Good, good. You know, we've been telling everybody they, there's, they're going to love this episode. Uh, so, <laughs> what are you thinking? So a lot, a lot of our listeners know we have a poll out right now getting their opinions and thoughts on what we could do better as a podcast, what they want to hear from. And I, I covered with this on the phone with you, but you are the second most requested person behind Coach Nussmeyer. We figured we'd, we'd reach out to you and you're gracious enough to have you on. And we appreciate that. And we're just going to run through some questions with you because you're just somebody the Vandals want to hear from. And something we thought that'd be kind of fun to start off with is, you know, uh, a lot of people might not know that you actually have some big sky roots playing at Weber state. So we are just kind of curious, you know, if you could kind of talk about your, your playing days at Weber state and then how you spent some time as a position coach there with uh, Weber state and a couple of years with Northern Arizona and any fun stories you might have on the other side of the ball against Idaho in your, your up and coming years. Well, man, I'm going to tell you what, we're going to, this is going to go on for a little while now. If we're going to open up. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> No, there's. I'm gonna tell you what. It, it uh, my whole career goes back to the Big Sky. I'm grateful for it. It was an opportunity to go play college football. Um, you know, Coach Price uh, recruited me over there to to come to come to Weber and play. I went in my freshman year was a tight end. And I switched over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, played there on my sophomore through my senior years, and and uh, and I was glad that I did that. That was uh, that was awesome, and that was uh, you know it was. Like I said, there was a, a chain of everything that, uh, you know, up to today. So, for example, you know, Mike Price was the one that actually brought me up to the Palouse because they hired me at Washington State. That's how I ended up up, uh, up there. We had a great run between Washington State and University of Idaho. That was awesome. It was 14 yeah. years right there. And so that was cool. Uh, the defensive coordinator that I had played for in um, 
is the is the guy that gave me my first NFL job, and that's Mike Zimmer, who's still the head coach of the, the Minnesota Vikings. And um, you know, and there were some there were some other guys within uh, within that staff that I played for, and then and then later had the chance to to coach with. So that was a pretty good run. Played there for four years, and and uh, and uh, we had uh, you know my senior year was the '87 season, and uh, we had uh, we had a good little showdown with uh, with the mighty Vandals, as a matter of fact, because <laughs> it. Uh, we had uh, we both were getting after it and had a, had a good thing going that season and then it was uh, it was actually our homecoming game they came down and played us at Weber and uh, and we lost the game by a field goal we lost by three and uh, so anyways we finish up the regular season and we're going to the playoffs Idaho's going to the playoffs and so they had uh, they had it so they ended up uh, putting two big sky teams against each other so we had to travel up to to Moscow to play in the dome uh against the the mighty vandals and you know we lost by three at home but i will have you know that i think we won by 33 in the dome <laughs> in the playoffs in the first round and it was a hell of a deal and uh that's pretty good dudes playing on that team john freeze was the quarterback matter of fact i got to hit him in the back about the i think it was about the second play of the game and the ball popped out our other defensive end got the ball and we scored a couple plays later and had a running back that had scored six touchdowns that day, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And then uh, that sent us off into the to the next round of the playoffs. So that was kind of a that was uh, a cool way. So I've had a lot of history uh, with with Idaho, and uh, you know competed against them, and and then obviously had the the pride of being able to lead the program, and that was uh, that was a pretty awesome deal. But we had uh, a lot of fun times when I was at Weber and in the Big Sky Conference. And matter of fact, that has a lot to do with why I'm here in at Central Michigan today. Why I was at the University of Florida, Jim McElwain, um, who's our head coach here, was head coach down in Florida that I went to work for. Was uh, you know he was at Eastern Michigan and they are Eastern Michigan, Eastern Washington, and uh, had played. You know he was a quarterback there and then coached there. And uh, even before they were in the Big Sky, they were trying to get into the Big Sky. Mm-hmm. But anyways, that was where our uh, friendship developed when I was coaching at Weber and he was coaching at Eastern Washington. And then it turned out that I was uh, down in Northern Arizona University was the was the defense coordinator down there, and he was the offense coordinator over at Montana State University, and and uh, so we always had some good uh, good head to heads and, and a good time, and had a great relationship for for a lot of years, and um, you know so that's um, that's scratching just the surface there on some of the big sky stuff. If you want me to hit it like yeah. that, we had uh, we had a lot of fun, a lot of good times, and. Uh, there were a lot of real good Vandal teams over those years, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Coach Erickson and Coach Gilbertson and Coach Smith and and those guys. Uh, those were the, you know, those were the guys that I remember when, uh, you know, when I was young and, and competing in the Big Sky. We're gonna go back to between 2006 2007. Should be the time you you signed on to be head coach at University of Idaho. You took over after Dennis Erickson's four and eight season, which was actually one of Idaho's best seasons since about the year 2000. The Washington State team, you you served on uh, head coach Bill Dobe at the time. WSU was six and six. When I mean, take us through the time when you got the offer from the University of Idaho. Like, was it a tough decision to leave? Uh, you know, a really good job at WSU at a really good at a real good program, um, or was becoming a head coach something you'd probably always wanted? So when you got a good offer, it was more or less a no brainer. The answer to that is yes, all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had, uh, you know, I had a lot of goals and, and I wanted to be a, a head football coach. And I wanted to be a young head football coach and I wanted it uh, also to be at a, a place where you had an opportunity to make some things happen, you know, and uh, and we had had a great, 
great, great run, uh, great time at, uh, at Washington State. And uh, had, like you had just mentioned, I mean, we finished that season six and six. Bowl eligible, but we didn't get the bowl. We were a little irritated about that. Um, and um, But it was, uh, you know, earlier, you know, a couple of years prior to that, we had just come off of a three-year run of 10-win seasons. And we won the, you know, we won the Sun Bowl, the, uh, played in the Rose Bowl, beat Texas in the Holiday Bowl, won the Pac-10 championship. Um, was able to have an Outland Trophy player. Um, Ryan Long won Outland Trophy-wise playing for me there. I uh, had the opportunity to go from being the defense line coach to being the defense coordinator and do a lot of things. And, and I did want to be um, uh, head coach. And, uh, you know, I had actually been had been contacted after our uh, the old three season when we played. Uh, we beat uh, Texas in the Holiday Bowl. Um, Idaho had hired a, a headhunter to help him with the with the search. And he had uh, contacted me. I would never recruited in Southern California. I come out. I had this message on my phone. I thought, Man, there's a name I ought to know, and I um, wasn't sure who it was. And, and uh, anyways, long story short, comes out to be you know he was the he was the headhunter that was uh, uh, getting the whole thing figured out for him. And so he left a message, wanted to know if I'd had uh, so they'd asked him to contact me. Would I have any interest in uh, in the job? I think that was when they uh, when they ran uh, Cable Tom Cable out of there, and um, you know I was so I was up in. I was driving down the freeway and I was in between a couple stops there and, and I got to thinking, I mean, you know, and I talked to a few folks and, and, uh, and I called, uh, it was Chuck Ninus, you know, he was the, the head hunter and he's put a lot of people in a lot of positions. And, and, uh, I'd called him back and, 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 uh, you know, cause what, 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 what concerned me at that point in time, you know, I think it was in the, uh, you know, they're trying to make a go division one and some of the stuff hadn't been done with the facilities. There was nobody sitting in the athletic director chair. I don't think there was a president at the time. I may be mistaken on that, but it was, it was, it was, it wasn't stable, whichever way you want to look at it. And, uh, and the big thing to me was, you know, not being in the, they were in the Sunbelt conference at that point in time. And I thought that made life awful hard. And there was rumors they were trying to get into the whack and I communicated with some you know, different people that had some some information. I called this guy back. I said, hey, could you talk to me about it a little bit? And I had a few questions for him. And, and uh, you know, at that point in time, I said, well, hey, you know, I tell you what, I politely declined. You know, I think we got a pretty good thing going here. I mean, we, we just been, we're on this run, and we'd like to see what we can do to keep it going. And uh, and so, anyways, that was then. Well, then they they were able to get the, um, you know, get things situated, and they got into the whack and, you know, and then, you know, they had a couple changes and Coach Erickson, uh, you know, had the opportunity to go down to Arizona State. And so we had just finished our season. And uh, there was, matter of fact, it was Sunday. I was at the office getting ready to go out. I was going to the airport to go recruiting and uh, had a message from the, you know, the guy that was the AD over there and uh, wanted to know if I'd have uh, interest in in the position. You know, they, they needed to have football coach. Coach Erickson was, was leaving. And, uh, you know, so it was more intriguing to me at that point in time. You know, I felt like, you know, Washington State in the Pac-10, Idaho in the WAC, um, I knew how to recruit to the area. I knew the things that you could do to make it great. There's great history. There's great passion within the Vandals. And if we could channel that, and I kind of thought I, we had a pretty good idea how to recruit the areas and things like that. I thought, shoot, we can make things We can make things work here. Yeah, I would be interested in it. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I told him that at the time. And, you know, and so anyways, we got into the, to the, uh, you know, the process of, of interviewing and that, and, and I was recruiting and going back and forth and, and, uh, you know, there were some different names getting involved with it and everything seemed like it was headed in a good direction, but then I didn't know. And then all of a sudden I'm getting, 
it started to drag on. I'm thinking, well, this is getting to be a little bit ridiculous. Matter of fact, I was at my house in Pullman and, uh, and I was looking at, I talking to Molly, my wife. And I said, you know what? I said, I don't want to be a head coach, but I said, this is, this is ridiculous. And if they, if they can't make up their mind and goddamn it, we're, we're done. And uh, I was walking across the living room over to the phone. You know, this is the old days you used to have a phone that actually <laughs> sat in your house. Okay. And so I was walking, I walked over that phone and I, I'm reaching for the phone. And while I'm reaching for it, it starts to ring. This is honest. God's truth. It starts to ring and I pick up the phone and it was that, um, um, it was the AD over there uh, calling to offer me the job. So I guess, you know, in my mind, well, shit, that was a pretty good deal. It was, it was, it was meant to be. And, uh, and yes, I did want to be the head coach and and that was the deal. And we had been, you know, another thing that had kind of driven me into that, it, it was Thanksgiving weekend, as a matter of fact. And uh, my sons, Jack and Daniel and I came over um, to the dome and um, we went in and watched the Vandals play, um, uh, I think it was San Jose State. Dick Tomey was the coach uh, at uh, San Jose. They were on like a nine or ten win season that year. Went to a bowl game, and and I remember that was a that was a close close game. And Idaho, you know, what you guys said four wins. I think they had that year, right? Yeah. Is what you told me. Yeah. And, um, and I thought, well, I mean, they're competitive. These guys, these guys won nine or ten. Um, you know, the only disappointment there wasn't anybody in the in the in the dome that day. It was, you know, it was pretty not a lot of fans but uh it was also thanksgiving weekend and some things like that and i thought so that kind of that kind of made me think that we could maybe build a little something there too because if you could be that close with a team that's that has gotten it swung because san jose had had their issues prior anyways you know he kind of kept track of all this stuff and if that could be the case i mean the team could have won that game is my point they're going to a bowl these guys weren't well why couldn't we do that and if we can get it going we could get the dome to be a loud and obnoxious place that makes it hard for people to want to come and play at. and i thought shoot that could be kind of fun so um those were some of the things that that factored into it in the timeline and and uh and i do remember the conversation uh you know so I accepted the job there over the phone went over to go uh, you know take care of i guess some contract stuff whatever and uh, talking to president white <clears throat> he called me on the phone and he was he was on his way to Italy. So he said, unless you, you know, I said, well, I'd rather do this in person. He said, well, I would too, but unless you're coming to Italy with me and we're going to make our first road trip together, I think we'll have to go to the phone. I said, well, I could do that. So uh, it worked out that way. And we kind of hit the floor running and, and uh, got started. Awesome coach. And that next question for you talking about those first couple of years, you know, you come off that Idaho comes off that four win season in 06. And then the next two years, our combined records three and 31, you know, how tough was it trying to build your brand of football and then also try to get the people excited back again in the dome well you know one of the maybe the hardest thing to do is is teach someone to win a group of people to win you know and it's uh and it wasn't because there weren't a bunch of good dudes uh you know i think when we were first there there were some some guys that uh you know had been a little complacent and um you know and everybody used to say that i, I blame that on erickson i never ever did i mean you got i mean he's like the godfather of of Vandal football. I mean, you, you don't say bad things about Coach Erickson. I never would have. Matter of fact, the fact that he kind of got him going with some of the issues they were dealing with, I thought was, uh, you know, to me was pretty impressive. I think the toughest thing was the fact that um, what I was the fourth guy in a matter of how many years? Five. Five. Yeah. yeah. I'm, so I'm the fourth. There's the fourth dad sitting in the in the in the living room, right? In a matter of five years, and so I mean, these guys were. 
had good things that they were going to do and they were doing. And, and hell, Coach Erickson never even got a chance to recruit a class there. He came in after they had already been done and he was gone before he got a chance to sign one. He was, you know, taking care of things. And there were some changes that he was going to make. Um, there were some changes probably some other guys would have made, but they weren't there to do it. And so, you know how it is. I mean, if, if you leave the teenagers at the at the house long enough, if you're not there, then something stupid is going to happen, be it good or bad, whatever. <laughs> and um, so, you know, they just had kind of gotten away with some things because I think leadership had changed. And so, anyways, that was um, – we kind of said it. So you got one chance to make a first impression of how you want things to be able to be. And so we tried to establish that uh, our first spring there together in a mindset that, uh, hey, we're going to win, but we're going to do it the right way. And, uh, you know, people are going to be proud of the way that we were going to go about doing our deal. And it was going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be something that, uh, you know, everybody was going to be proud about you when your name ran across the bottom line or your name was brought up or the Vandal football team was brought up. That was the way our approach was. And, and it meant a lot to us to do it with character. And uh, so we said about it that way. Some guys weren't around for that uh, started out with us, but we got built with the guys that wanted to be a part of it. And so now you're having you're you're recruiting to a team that hasn't had uh, some success. You're selling them on, you know, you got to have faith. And um, so that was what uh, a lot of the was getting done to help uh, build some of the recruiting classes and whatnot. And, uh, you know, you got a fan base that's in there. So, OK, yeah, we got a lot of faith. But, uh, coach, we like to see something. And I, I get that, too. Uh, everybody wants to win. So that's what, uh, you know, and and. But the thing is that uh, it's easy for everybody else to sit out there. You know, they, they, uh, you know, there's a, your armchair quarterbacks and that they, they, and they could be alumni and they can love their team, but they, they've got other things they do. It's our livelihood. It's those players. It's their livelihood. It is their name, you know, <laughs> that uh, on the helmet, on the, on the Jersey, on both sides of the Jersey, that's their name. The university is and the school is. So it, uh, it means a lot. And so, you know, you, you, we had to go through some things. And, and the thing that told me we, we you know, we're going to have a chance, our guys stayed together and they kept working and they got stronger and they believed in each other and they believed in the process. And we kept working the process. And, um, you know, and then we got it to the point where it, uh, you know, it started to uh, it started to be rewarded for it. And, uh, you know, we got some guys in that could help and, and some guys started getting, you know, they were able to run the same offense and the same defense for at least two, two, three years in a row. So that helped a little bit. And, uh, and, and, you know, but you could tell they started believing each other because, I mean, that season that, uh, you know, when we, our third season was when we got to the bowl and, uh, and that swung it. And there were some, there were some close had to finish games, you know, in that season to be able to make that happen. So that tells you that they believed in one another and they believed the way that things were going. So, yeah, there was uh, there was some a lot of work that went into it. There was a lot of pride. So in, in your third season, that's the 2009 season, which part of the reason I think a lot of this has come up is with everything going on in the world, we kind of started a rewatchable series and started to realize how much people loved that 09 team, like the Colorado State game, obviously the bowl game. Then you had a lot of other ones you know, along the way. I remember tuning into the first game against Mexico State uh, where Komar had some clutch plays there. And I guess, yeah, I remember reading stories that you had the team start eating out of bowls to get them in the mindset of we're going to a bowl this year. Can you kind of cover, like, you talked about you had two years of building it, and that third year it kind of came to fruition. What are kind of some of the, the moments and memories from 09, and what do you think really – clicked was it just the team finally being together for three years or was there something else kind of going on it had we had to grow into it there's no doubt we had to grow into it and there were guys that uh you know we had to put some we had to get some pieces for the puzzle to help make yeah. it work you know and and so i think that that was important but a lot of it is a mindset man and when you expect to win you find a way to make those things happen and when you have 
not been winning. And when everybody wants to tell you how bad you are, then you find ways to save face and, and that doesn't enable you to win. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. What I'm saying? And, yeah. and all I know is that when we, you know, when I took the job, people said, well, why would you go do that? You know, you guys are having success over here. Why would you do that? Uh, you, you read if you read the polls and that kind of stuff at the beginning. I mean, we were picked to be dead last in about everything. I'm still pretty mm -hmm. sure. And uh, so everybody's just telling you how bad you are. And we're sitting there trying to say, hey, you know what, fellas, we ain't. Okay. And so we needed to believe in each other. We needed to believe in what was going to happen. And we had to build off of the things that were, you know, that were uh, the growing points and the things that were different. And it's not hard. It's not easy to find a lot of, you know, on the outside. The, the outside world ain't going to give you a whole lot of uh, positivity coming off of what we win three games in those first two seasons. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just doing this and, uh, and they want you to be doing this with each other. And, and, you know, so we had to, we had to get stronger. We had to come together and we had to do those things. And so that first uh, team meeting that we had, the first meal when everybody reported official for camp, you know, guys did a better job of staying around that summer. Guys were, uh, Know, working their tails off and, and so when when the camp was official reported we have a nice dinner for them that night and so we did make sure that uh, you know and I had to go down there and I had my operations guy go through that I said you make sure there ain't a damn plate in the place now these guys <laughs> have, you know they're eating nice steak dinner whatever all these all the fixes go along with it and all that but there wasn't gonna be anything to eat in out of a bowl I wanted them thinking about a bowl that's what it was gonna be and uh, you know get it in your mind right now it's time and the outside world really don't matter Okay. What matters is us here together. And so just get, you know, maybe as a corny little deal, I don't know, but it was a mindset and we were going to make sure that we delivered that mindset to each other. And we went to work and, and uh, you know, and then it kind of, there were some things that, uh, you know, rung with that a little bit that year. I remember we we're getting ready to go. We're, we're going down to play San Jose State, okay, on the road down in California. And, uh, you know, we got whatever our airline is at, um, we had to fly out of Lewiston, right? This was in the days they wouldn't let you take off at uh, at Pullman. And so we had to go down to Lewiston to get the plane to fly out of there. And uh, so we have our team meeting, have a team meeting, then we put everybody on the bus. We roll down to the airport and we go off and uh, we play who it is that we're going to play. Well, the uh, on the, everything was cool. And Hop raises guys, you know, he goes down to the airport, so everything's ready. So he's there waiting for us when we get there. Well, anyways, to make a long story short, as soon as we get to about the Oh, uh, it would have been the, uh, not even the Genesee yet. Okay. My phone rings and it's my guy. And he says, Hey, uh, aches, the, uh, the plane is going to be late getting into Lewiston. I think I thought it was already there, but it wasn't somebody, it, it dropped somebody else on the way to come and get us. And it was going to be a while. Now that was yet. You know, we're, we're gone too far to turn around and go back. And I damn sure didn't want them sitting in that, in the buses for, you know, two hours yeah. or whatever it was going to be. And you don't want to go hang out. You know, the, the Lewiston Airport is beautiful, but it's not real spacious. Uh, <laughs> hang out in there. So anyways, we uh, kept ourselves going down the hill. I said, hey, there's a little joint. If you go down the street and roll in there and uh, right down the street, uh, if you stay up high there uh, from the airport is uh, is a bowling alley. And uh, so uh, got it all set up. They only had a few people in there and said, hey, we'd like to bring the football team in here uh, to bowl. And they said, great. So the bus is just diverted and we rolled over there. We pulled in. We went in and said, hey, fellas, the plane's going to be a couple minutes. Uh, we're going to bowl at the end of the season. So on the way to getting ourselves to bowl, why don't we bowl a few lines? And we rolled it out that way. You're going to put it in your heads again. And because uh, I'm pretty sure that that San Jose game had something to do with um, – can't remember if that was the magic number or not, but it was, it was right in that mix. I don't know if we had made the magic number yet or if that was going to be it. 
um, doesn't matter, but it fell into that, that thing. Okay. And so there were different things along those lines that we kind of, you know, you pay attention to, but you know, that was one of the funny stories that I do remember in the process of doing it. And, and we had a pretty good thing going and, uh, and there was, uh, you know, guys started believing each other. I think when, uh, you know, open the season with the win, that was a good one. Then what I think we had to go over to Seattle after that, that was a tough one to go play. And, you know, you, what, Seattle, the, the Huskies, were they ranked at that time or was that when they were still down? That's when they were down, but I think they had Jake Locker still a quarterback. So yeah, yeah they, they were still, yeah. yeah, they finished five and seven that season. Four yeah, and five in Pac ten. So they weren't they weren't bad. They're yeah. an average Pac twelve team that year. Yeah. But he, they're huskies anyway, so yeah. um, <laughs> exactly. But I was, I was thinking, hey, easy on that, boys. Easy on that. All right. That's my employer. Right <laughs> that's, now. Right. that's right. That's uh-huh. right. That's where I work at right now, coach. I work in the athletic department at UW. Well, you're being charitable for them. That's good. <laughs> Got to bring a vandal in to get it running right. Exactly. I noticed you. That's exactly right. And you wear, uh, I wouldn't wear that stuff out in public either. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You got to keep those things live. The rivalry is the beautiful thing about it. But, you know, we had, uh, you know, Boise was a top, hell, they were a top 10 team the whole time. It seemed like we were there. Nevada was ranked up in there. Fresno was always ranked up in there. And those in Hawaii, um, you know, in our time there in the league. And then, you know, that was uh, – so it was good. You know, our guys, you know, they – we went over to Seattle and they, you know, they beat us. But we, you know, we were able to take some things from the game and put some clips together. Hey, if you can do this against Pac-10 opponent, you can do this against anybody. And we kind of, you know, got that rolling a little bit. And then uh, I think when um, – I can't remember which one came first. But, uh, you know, there was a road trip to northern Illinois that yep. uh, that uh, winning on the road, a hard-fought game against a bowl team and they were bowl team the year before. Um, I thought that helped gain some confidence for our players. And, uh, and uh, matter of fact, I think that was the first, that one came. And then the next week, if I remember right, was Colorado state at the dome. Yep. ESPNU. That was, Oh, that game was, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. So Northern Illinois, and then you came in and then you had Colorado state with ESPN in town and packed dome. Yeah. It was awesome. And, uh, and, and, those two games I really thought helped give our team the mentality we needed. The, the road the road win, uh, got some confidence going. And then the Colorado State game, because, you know, Colorado State was, you know, they were coming out of the Mountain West Conference. Well, hell, if I remember right, we went 2-0 in the MAC and 2-0 in the Mountain West Conference that season. Because uh, then we beat San Diego State that year also. It was either San Diego yeah. State or UNLV, one of the two. That's true. Yep, you did beat San Diego State 34-20 the week before Northern Illinois. So there you go. You did. Uh, you know, and, and, and Colorado State was a team that I think our guys had a little respect for. I mean, maybe probably a little too much because I look at the – you know, if I remember right, we we, we were getting – they started fast on us, and we were we were losing at halftime. I remember getting after mm-hmm. them at halftime saying, this ain't the damn – you know, this team's out of Colorado, but it ain't the Denver Broncos that we're playing. Come on. Yeah. Uh, we're better than this. And I think that the, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, we, we'd been a Mountain West team uh, already and the confidence that came from winning that game on the road last week, I think that helped. And then we got it swung and made the things happen that needed to happen. And, and, uh, and that was pretty cool. So there, there now you got a team that uh, has overcome a little adversity and uh, found a way to get it swung. And, uh, and we had a little bit of that to our football team, I think, that year. Yeah, I was on campus that year, and my recollection is the town woke up to you guys after the Northern Illinois win. 
And like, if you look at attendance figures, it appears to match that. But that was just my experience as a student is hearing sure. about the big road win. Uh, you know, we're three and one at the time. That was when people said, okay, something could happen this year. And relating to that, so we're going to jump to the humanitarian bowl. Uh, you know, one of the all-time Vandal games. You know, people like us, have, I watched the game live, at, and we've also rewatched it for the podcast. I'm curious, you know. It was just on any, ESPN. Yeah. Really? Scared it. Matter of fact, uh, it was, uh, I, I, was uh, I was getting my green egg fired up, and uh, I get this text, and it was from um, um, the, the guy that runs the uh, humanitarian bowl, now the, the Idaho potato bowl, had sent me a text. Kevin McDonald. Kevin, yeah. Damn it, I feel terrible. Kevin, he's a great dude, man. And he says, hey, uh, if you got ESPNU on, you guys are about to go win a ball game. And uh, so I flipped over, <laughs> and uh, Molly and Jack and I watched the end of it. It was it was cool. Brought back some some, some fun. Uh, brought back some fun memories. That was kind of cool. Do you have any moments where, like, if you're, let's say, you're with a former colleague or a former football player, are there any? Is there like a moment from that game you guys are most likely to rehash, like over a cold Montucky or two? Well, there's uh, the the. The things that you, you remember the, the the finish to the game, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, what I always hear anytime that a game ever comes up, somebody says, "Hey, man, you're gonna love it." And uh, so for me, running my mouth at halftime, and I didn't even realize it at the time. I thought it was kind of funny. We were all excited. We won the game, and and I think we were on the plane or getting ready to come back to Moscow, or whatever. And I had all these text messages and voice messages, so that was cool. A lot of people were fired up for us, and they kept saying, "Hey, man, I loved what you said." At, at, Thinking, what did I say? I thought, oh man, don't get me in trouble. I know it was, and uh, so then, so that one's always going to come up. Everybody brings that up, and that was that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, the halftime just popping off there at halftime, and that's what uh, got a lot of people to, to come together with us. If it was with our players, um, then it's going to be about the game and the way it finished. And and uh, you know, they made. I was so proud of those damn guys, man, and and so happy for them with what took place, and and. And again, we, we put a chip on our shoulder and everybody helped us have that chip on our shoulder, I do believe. And and, uh, and and the guys took pride in that and they took pride every week in being able to make it happen. That's why we finished some of those games that were close at the end that, uh, you know, we had to have a last drive or whatever it was to to finish and win. And and I think that that was pretty good. And our whole deal going into that bowl was that we were going to play as fast as we can, as hard as we can, as long as we can and uh, as physical as we can. And if we would do that, we'll do that for the 60 minutes. We'll make the whole damn world fall in love with the way that we play this game. And uh, it kind of happened that way because of the nature of the finish and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And what, it, was one of the, it was the most watched bowl game of the year or highest rated whatever, uh, or so I was told. But uh, it got some folks fired up about Idaho football. Scott Van Pelt uh, kind of adopted us, man. And yeah, had, you know, he had our helmet up there on the, on the desk. He held it up there for a year. And uh, – and so that was cool. We got so much great publicity out of that on ESPN, and we were, you know, we were able to go on, and, and uh, folks were talking. You know, we were the only game in the entire world that was being played at that time. So, you know, and everybody loves football, college football. So everybody was peeping it out, and so the, the guys captured the moment. And so I think that they would remember, hey, coach, we did what we said we were going to do. And uh, to me, that's the that's the biggest thing of all. Yeah. And before Alex, he's got a question for you here. I just got to. Yeah. So they the Bowling Green calls a timeout right before you go for two, mm-hmm. and 
how I remember it without, you know, having it right up in front of me was we had already set the tight end in motion. They called mm-hmm. a timeout. Did you run the same play, but just switch the directions on it? No, it's the same deal. Same personnel, same everything. We traded the tight end, brought the other one over and we brought him across and then brought the, <laughs> <I thought. laughs> uh, um, pressing in on the dig on the, on the, on the dagger on the back line there. And he was wide open because he jumped on the, the short stuff. So that's what I thought was pretty cool. Cause it was, uh, we stuck with they call timeout, see what we're in and what they're going to do. And <clears throat> we say, hey, stop it. Yeah. And as I say, I don't know if, if you were ever aware of this too, but uh, they actually made the NCAA football game, like the video game, which I know growing up, they had the Statue of Liberty put in because of Boise State. And then mm-hmm. I thought it was so cool after that year, they literally, if you had the Vandals playbook on there, it had Vandal two point as a play and it ran that Zach play from the. Oh, is that right? H bull, yeah. So I always thought that was pretty cool. It's not in there anymore. It's only for like two years, but I was, I remember bragging all my Boise State friends about them. Like, yeah, you know, you're not the only team with the play in the in the video game now. So, <laughs> no, that's yeah. pretty cool, man. That's that's awesome. That is awesome. So, Coach, hearing you talk, hearing you talk, uh, you know, I was a player on the 2016 bull team. Yeah, and and I was probably one of the only guys who was a fan of the 2009 bull team at the exact same time, and just similarities talking about you know, travel issues or how you viewed the whole season, expect to win. Expect that's to win. Kind of, yep. Yeah, that was our whole thing. No one believed in us, and that's all that mattered was the guys in there. But I was also part of the team who the next season didn't lose a conference game by more than six points, but then also didn't go back to a bowl game. So I want you to talk about the 2010 season where you fell one one game short, three points short against Fresno State basically to kind of repeat that magic and, and how it's so hard for Idaho to kind of go back to back bowl games. Well, that was that that um, that that year. That was uh, that was tough. I, I was because uh, it was you know we had the opportunity. I mean, the ninth season <clears throat> was the first winning season in, in a decade. Mm-hmm. Decades a long time, <laughs> and uh, you know, only second bowl game in the history of the school. All those things, and and so we felt like we had gotten the point where we had it. Uh, you know, we had got it turned. And uh, so now, you know, you want to build it to where it needs to go to. And uh, we're one play away. And you can pick your game. And, uh, you yeah. know, butts and candies and that's not that good stuff. I get that. But uh, that's why I was so irritated about it because it was that close to getting it swung because you can take uh, the two-minute drill at Fresno, uh, less than two minutes, obviously. They scored with, I think it was 11 seconds left to uh, to win. Uh, they were down. And I think we had a – if I'm not mistaken. It was a fourth down, and we were in two man. And, and uh, anyways, they got the first down, but they were they were able to score with 11 seconds left to win the game. We had that game at Fresno, able to win it, and and uh, and wanted that would have secured uh, enough wins to uh, play the uh, you know to to be back to back bowl teams. And um, so that one that one was irritating, and especially because you know Fresno was uh, you know they those Fresno and Reno and Boise were the they were the three tough ones in the, in the league. And uh, I mean, how they were ranked each year and, and, uh, and it was tough. And then shit, Hawaii was a top team. I mean, they were, they played in the sugar bowl for Christ's sake. Um, so having Fresno there and having a chance to win that one, that kind of, that really, that irritated me. And then the one that, uh, you know, before that we are at Colorado state and Colorado state kicks a damn, uh, field goal with time running out to win the game by one point or two points, whatever. Uh, but point is we had the lead. They kicked the field goal, won the game. That one would have given us uh, the uh, bowl game, you know. And uh, either one of those put you over the edge. So that's one play. 
you know, block the kick. Don't let him get close enough to kick it. Tackle old boy. Don't let him in. Don't let him have the first down or just make the play. Don't let him score on the, you know, 11 seconds left and you win either one of those games. And those are back-to-back bowls. And then I think you got a chance to, to maybe get it rolling at, uh, at, um, you know, at, at Idaho. I felt like that could have made a difference for us. And that was in the, uh, you know, and it didn't get anything but harder than that after that point in time because that's when they started, uh, you know, because now it was getting harder and harder to recruit because the conference was dying. The WAC was going to move on, and we weren't invited to move on with it. Uh, you know, Boise was leaving, Fresno was leaving, Hawaii was leaving. Um, that was the uh, initial, right? Uh, yeah. In Nevada. Or Nevada and yep. Saturday, Utah State came later. Um, yeah. But anyways, that was out there. And so the WAC – ESPN, you know, so if the WAC's going to be done, the ESPN's going to be done. If the ESPN's done, well, that ESPN money's going to be done. And, uh, you know, we were relying on that to help fund the program. There's, that's what it was. And, and uh, you know, we needed better fundraising efforts and more money and, and things like that to, to withstand not having that ESPN money anymore, um, just to do things that were necessary to treat the kids the right way and run the program the right way. So that kind of made some things harder but uh that was the bitch of that 2010 season yes that uh that still pisses me off to this day and i got matter of fact uh um well one of the guys on my that uh, our linebacker coach here tim skipper his brother coach running backs at washington state when i was over there and, and uh and tim was our linebacker coach at florida and he's coaching linebackers for me here at, at central and he was on that uh 2009 on that uh fresno staff he had played there and uh you know, years before, but, uh, you know, they were, they were, he said, man, we were, we, we were worried about that game and Fresno had been a strong, strong team, but they were worried about coming and playing, especially when they had to play it up there at the dome. And so, yeah. and, and I had a lot of respect for coach Hill and what he'd done there. You know, he'd done a great job with their, with their program and, and, and they, it was always going to be a physical game and uh, football was going to be played the way it should be played. I respected that a lot. And so I really wanted to win that one too, but, that was real quick follow-up question. He could have got us over the edge, and we didn't get it done. Real quick follow-up question. Uh, you were the last coach to coach against Boise State. I know I was now hasn't played Boise State for 10 years. I remember that game. It was a Friday night in the Dome. It wasn't a close one, but I don't think I've seen the Dome that full in a no, long people, time. People were standing that, in the alleys to get into that. Uh, it was like 17,000, 18,000 people in the 15,000 seat stadium. Um, you know, what do you miss playing Boise State, even though you know we never came out on the right side? What do you kind of miss about that rivalry? We should have. I should have pulled a course. So then we score first. Daniel Hardy ran a boot, caught a bootleg and, and rolled off old boy ran and scored a touchdown yep. on the first yeah. possession of the game, right? I think – wasn't yep. that – that was the 08, wasn't it? That was, was 10. It was it 10? 10 in Boise okay. at Idaho. I remember that. Yeah, I remember okay. it was at the Dome. I remember that. I was thinking it was that one. I don't know. They kind of run together a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, should have pulled a Corso like he did in Indiana. Called time I went out and took a picture because we could never get any closer than that. And that's uh, – you know, that's one of the things that 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 um, I hated that about uh, you know our time there because to me, two of the great things about college football are the bowl games and the rivalries. And uh, back in the day, uh, the Idaho Boise game, you know, was a hell of a rivalry. <clears throat> they were hotter than two dollar pistol when we came into uh, to Idaho, and uh, we we you know we we didn't make it a game. We it was that was. Uh, that was what uh, I felt bad about, you know, and uh, and I, 
I think we gave it the respect of a rivalry. We tried to get it up and, you know, get it built up. And, and, and I wanted our guys to have fun with it. But it's not fun when you go get whacked. And, and none of the games did we, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't fun. And um, I, I was my one of the goals that I had, and I and I do believe if we'd have been able to keep things going, we'd we'd found our, we'd got ourselves to the point. But uh, and had we gotten it swung and continued to turn, you know, it would have become a rivalry again instead of uh, you know what it was. But uh, hell, I still remember the night, uh, you know, when I just taken the job and uh, I just had uh, was getting my staff put together, getting it built. I had a few of the guys in town; some of them weren't here yet, and. Uh, it was, you know, whenever, January, I guess, in uh, late December, January. And when we had dudes over to my house at, at Pullman. And um, it was the night that the the, the Boise played the uh, Oklahoma in the, the Fiesta Bowl. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting there and, and uh, my young son, Daniel, sitting on my lap. And they're interviewing the quarterback after the uh, game, that, you know, about the – yeah, it's a brand And he was talking about how they'd run it against uh, Idaho uh, earlier in the season. And uh, Daniel, just a little fella at that time, he looks at me and said, Daddy, he's calling you out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we, we, we uh, no, it, we wanted to have a lot of fun, tried to have a lot of fun with that. They were a damn good program that had things going real well. And we were trying to get to that point. We just, uh, we weren't able to get it there. I know, um, you know. So that was the frustrating thing, but uh, hopefully, is is it going to get scheduled back again? The new Let's athletic see. director played around with the idea, but I'm not sure we're super stoked to play them now because uh, I feel like the gap's even widened now that we're down in the FCS. But FCS versus FCS or FBS versus FCS upsets happen, so there you go. Then now they have I'm to trade. Yeah, exactly. 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 I don't think they want. I don't think they want to pay us enough. I think. That's yeah, more that's issue probably now. more the issue. <laughs> no, that was. I, I. I really wanted to see us get that thing swung another way, but. Um, now I remember the game you're talking about that night, though, because if I remember right, uh, the uh, that was the night the that game was in 3D, right? Yes. Yeah. Man. It was. And, uh, so I remember the day before we'd done our walkthrough and and. Uh, the guy says, hey, coach, I was being a smartass. I said, so, hey, we're going to play this game in 3D. I, you know, the, I thought this was going to be the next big thing coming. I said, but I asked him, I said, do I have to wear those funny glasses when I when we coach? And he said, no, uh, just for a while. And uh, so, he, anyways, long story short, he took me out in the truck, and the boys were at the walkthrough, so they come out there with me. And they were showing me what it looked like because they'd been like at Virginia Tech somewhere was one of the games they'd done earlier. And that was so I'm sitting there in their truck and they're showing the highlight deal and had the glasses on. And I remember they're showing Virginia Tech coming out of the tunnel and doing this, trying to get the smoke to move out of the way. Um, I thought, man, this is going to be cool. It's going to be awesome. And anyways, then you fast forward a few years and, and uh, this was 17 in uh, preseason. I was down in Florida and uh, we had uh, – it was the day the rookies were all coming to camp. We we're getting ready to start training camp. And uh, and one of the guys comes over and says, uh, he says, hey, could you come over and say hi? And uh, the guy that was running the truck that ran the show for ESPN, the 3D deal, um, had adopted T.J. Slayton, who was going to play for me, uh, was a freshman coming in, was going to play for us. And he remembered that day. And he, when I was walking by, he said, isn't that Coach Aki? So it was uh, two worlds, one long ways run into each other again down yeah, there. That's funny. So I guess uh, our next question then is kind of, what are your, I mean, thoughts? Idaho's in the big sky now. Uh, we all three kind of seem to agree that 
despite wanting to be FBS, if that's still what people want right now, conferences just aren't available. The Mountain West is sending us invites. What are kind of your thoughts? Idaho and the big sky. That's where they're at. So they got to approach it. Hey, we're back home and let's go win the damn thing. You know, you know that's right. what's got to be done. And, uh, you know, I know that, uh, you know, nobody ever wants to go backwards and that, but that was what happened. And it was because people couldn't get us an invitation to the next step to the party, to the prom, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> that didn't get to take place. So in my opinion, it's a hell of a lot better than even being in the Sun Belt, because like I told you, I mean, when they first put, I, I, how are you going to recruit West Coast guys and play in a conference that's uh, all the way on the other side of the country? And those people aren't going to travel up there. They don't give a damn about the game. Your fans don't give a damn about the game. You're going to recruit on the West Coast kids. Their their families can't go watch their kids play. The closest trip they're going to have to watch their son play is going to be at the University of Idaho. And if you're recruiting guys out of, you know, the kids who are in the Northwest, they get to see the home games. That's great. The kids along the, you know, the, the West Coast, it's a trip for them to get up for that one either. So when they could play at the people you're recruiting against, like Fresno and 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 Nevada's and UNLV's and and people like that, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you're, so now that that gets stacked even harder to recruit. Um, so I think that that makes that awful tough. The uh, you know the fact that uh, there needed to be a commitment made to make things be better. There were while we were there. Big Sky programs that were being funded better than what we were, especially after the, uh, the ESPN contract died. Um, yeah. Were conversations that we had. So, I mean, there was a lot of smoke and mirrors getting done to try to get it to the point that it needed to get to. So, you know, the the, the kids are the ones that get hurt by that. So, uh, you know, at some point in time, you got to say, hey, we got to do what's best for everybody here. And I think that that's what they ended up doing. And I know a lot of boosters didn't want to do it. I know when I was the head coach, I didn't want to be – you know, I wanted to be the head coach there, the Vandals. I, I wanted to be the head coach and, and build this thing to what we were trying to get done and get our next bowl game and do those things. I didn't want to go back and do it at the Big Sky, but they didn't have to have me be their head coach either. It was what needed to be best for the school. So to me, that's where – that's why it is where it is, and that's where it ended up, and it needs to get embraced and just go, you know, go win the damn thing. And I, I thought they'd uh, – you know, I thought that might be, you know, it'd be pretty tough for – for everybody to deal with them when they first came in. But uh, I noticed that the old alma mater is still doing pretty good in the uh, big <laughs> they're yeah, they're in there. And yeah. what Eastern's doing pretty good over there still too, right? The yeah. And Montana's kind of having a resurrection right now. So uh, we picked a bad time to go back to the big sky because everybody else seemed to get really good the last three years. So, well, uh, you know, but it makes it fun. They call them games for a reason and you guys can yep. get that, uh, get that to get going again but uh no it's uh but it's 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 interesting to see some of those things remember at the end it was my defensive line coach he's the defense coordinator over there at eastern um eastern washington and uh so i was happy to see him having some of that success uh at uh kreiner my old dc his son is playing uh yeah, safety yeah. Form over there and yeah. uh yeah, so now we still keep track of the old uh, keep track of this guy, Coach. We know we're we're approaching the end of, of your time uh, for the interview, so I want to we want to make sure you had a chance to let everyone know how are things going in Central Michigan. Well, I tell you what, man, they're uh, we're we're off to a great start, and uh, when we came in here, it was um, we rolled in here. So we've been here for one year, and uh, the year before we came in here, they won one game. And I think that was against a one double A team. They didn't win one game in the MAC conference, and, and so 
you know, this this might ring a few bells. I mean, they they told us, well, hey, we're going to be last in the league and all this and that. I mean, everybody, all the experts said we weren't going to be able to piss drop or do anything. And uh, you know, so we uh, and, and we lost some some pretty good players off that previous team. I know the defense that uh, um, you know that we we're going to be coaching we had two corners. Uh, played every snap the year before, and uh, they both were juniors, and they both left early for the draft, and they both got drafted, so they were gone. It was the best defensive end um, uh, on the team that had played the most. Uh, he transferred, you know, he entered the college free agency and went over to the University of Michigan. Um, they had three linebackers that played all the time, and those guys were all gone, and, and uh, so the guys, there wasn't a whole lot of experience coming back on our side of the ball. Um, you know, the guy that was a starting tight end for, or excuse me, starting quarterback that year before was playing going to play tight end for us um so there was a lot of what's it going to be and uh anyways we approached it just like we do and we talked and we talked and we did it positive and we we kind of showed them how they can make it happen and uh anyways make a long story short we ended up winning the west side of the mac we played in the mac championship game over at four field in detroit uh went to the to the new mexico bowl and uh made a lot of things happen so where we weren't supposed to win a game in the conference we won our side played the championship game well now we got to take the next step and, and win the championship game and uh, so instead of being the west champs we'd be the mac champs and then uh, and then go win the bowl game that comes with it but it was a good start and we got uh, we got some things introduced with the defense and uh you know we were nationally uh, ranked in some categories we we're number one or two in every category defensively uh in uh, in our conference and and uh and we had some that were top 10 top 25 in the country so uh, it's a good building start. It's a good place to go. And and, uh, and so now we're just like everybody else in the middle of uh, – everybody's writing a book now. Everybody's It's a book <laughs> before. So we're just working our tails off, make sure we write this book better than anybody else does. And uh, we got guys that are all over the place. As a matter of fact, I was up in the old stomping grounds. We had uh, – it was pretty cool. We started spring ball real early here, and we got 10 practices in oh, wow. before uh, spring break and had our second scrimmage. And so, matter of fact, that was on a Thursday. And so I went in and graded the film and, and uh, got on a plane and went up to, we were up in Spokane and uh, came down to Pullman. My son, Daniel's over at uh, uh, Washington State. He's a student assistant over there. Uh, Jack's here at Central with uh, Molly and I. And so we were out there for spring break. And that's when we found out that, uh, so how about how about that for pretty smart? Let's go on uh, spring vacation where we should go. You go, uh, most people will go someplace warm. We it's good to we go Spokane to Pullman. Oh, yeah now right <laughs> if we could find the pandemic and uh <laughs> we were there as a matter of fact the night we came back uh so we, i went in on thursday came back that next thursday and the next thursday is when they discovered that the country had corona and uh everybody <laughs> should stay home so uh my office is now here in my uh in my living room or nothing i built this office into my house here and and uh and we got players that are all over the place, and uh, they just finished finals last week. We've been doing things with them virtual. We've been doing things with the staff uh, virtual. We've been doing things with recruits, big time virtual, and on the phone, and, and like this with you guys. And uh, I swear, I got home earlier uh, when I used to leave the office and, and and come home at the end of the day than I have been when we've been uh, here all day long. It seems like, but uh, it's cool. So we're looking to see what we can do with uh, with the next step, and and just like everybody, what this new season is going to be like, and and just got to believe, hey, football is going to be here, and it uh, you know we'll find out when the date is and when it's going to be, and that's why I just hope everybody. You know, let's find out what we got to do to be smart so we can go and we can play this game. We all do what we love to do again. And I do think, I think our country needs it. Um, I, 
college football is going to help our country get their minds right again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I think that's important. And, and, and I just cringe every time, you know, they put a microphone in some of these dudes' faces, they'll make some of these absolute statements. You can't take them back. You know, I'm seeing yeah. some, well, we got to have eight to 10 weeks to be able to play. Well, no, we don't stop. Don't say that. Let's find out when we can play ball again. Okay. And when can we get the players? And then let's find out what we got to do to play ball. Does the season need to get adjusted? What do we need to do? But we can do that. And it's not all that long ago where the, you know, schools couldn't keep the kids around in the summertime and it wasn't the same. And so they'd show up at the end of July, you know, beginning of August for training camp. And uh, then you played your game a few weeks later. So, you know, we've been fortunate. We've been able to take better care of the players, but the whole country's dealing with the same deal right now. So we could have a training camp and get them ready to go. And, uh, but y'all, we just got to keep everybody positive and believe that it's going to happen and, and uh, see when it'll be. We want to thank you for joining us today. It, it, like I said, mo- second most requested person on the podcast. I know I, I told you, you're part of the reason I went to Idaho. So I was super excited to have you on. So, yeah, so we appreciate it. Hopefully, you know, now that Idaho's in the FCS, anyone looking for an FBS team can start rooting for you in Central Michigan. Get some uh, Vandal Chippewas going. Come on, baby. <laughs> love to have you. <laughs> All right, Coach. Well, thank you for joining us, and uh, we will see the rest of you guys after the break. Appreciate y'all, homeboys. Y'all be good. Have a tub for me. Bar is open. Let's get into it. Guys, we had a interesting conversation with, with Coach Hakey today. I just want to know kind of what are some of your main takeaways? I know, Alex, it's been a while since we've had you on. Uh, why don't you start? What were some of the takeaways from everything Rob said and kind of what we talked about, you know, with him? Yeah, uh, one thing I love about Coach Aiken that stands out right away is his personality. Uh, he didn't get too many Hey Bubba's today, but yeah, not a, you know, not a ton of Hey Bubba's. I know, I'm surprised, but uh, you know, it was interesting hearing his his side of things um, from you know starting at Idaho when we actually when he played at Idaho, played against Idaho in Weber State, to coaching at Wazoo and how he was ready to actually give up on the job. That's that's kind of what was really surprising, just the the time of everything. Um, you know, the infectious personality just carried carried Idaho to some good success and some good fun in that 2009 season. Uh, 2009 year was a fun time, and then that 2010 year was so close. But it's been a lot of time in my child, my uh, early teen years in the Dome with Aki as the coach. And, you know, and after seeing a lot of him and then being coached by Paul, Coach Petrino, um, you know, it's interesting seeing the two different sides to how they kind of operate. But – Sometimes there were some really big similarities that I saw from that 2009 year to our 2016 year. You know, my takeaways from Rob, it's similar to when, to like my takeaways from Mahmood, which is I like when we get people who can just kind of tell, you know, the story of whatever the other topic happens to be, because we learned some stuff. It just wouldn't occur to me to even ask about, uh, for example, when I asked the question about him taking the job at Idaho, was it a, was it a tough decision? Was it a no brainer? You know, how was that? And, you know, he talked about how this was actually kind of the second time he'd fielded interest from the University of Idaho about a head coaching position. And the first time he said, essentially, because the athletic department did not have the stability he would want, he said no, uh, which re- part of why that's interesting is because, you know, as fans, when we talk about, you know, things like conference alignment, things like, you know, where, where Idaho might play now versus in a few years. It's interesting to hear how that that does impact things like personnel decisions as in who's willing to, what interests a person to come take the job 
and what might make people say, hey, I'm going to pass. Because some of the stuff that you might speculate about moving from conference to conference, it appears like it actually does matter. And we didn't go into that interview expecting he was going to be going into something like that. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. Like, And I'm curious, Alex, kind of your point of view on this, because one of the interesting points I agree with Brian was like, I know you've been on the show before and talked about, and I've brought it up with people who talk about Idaho and the Sun Belt. You said that like being in the Sun Belt wasn't actually that bad as a player. Um, and I started to totally, I see your point. Like you're traveling anyways. Like at some point a, a nine hour bus ride is the same as a nine hour flight. I guess thinking of it from like how he brought it up in that perspective of not taking the job the first time around because recruiting, I mean, I know you've been a lifelong vandal, but I, when he was talking about that, I kept flashing back to, and I said I didn't want to interject when he was talking, but it, it might explain a little bit of why Paul Petrino had such a Southern mm-hmm. strategy when he was recruiting. Is like what uh, Aki talked about with like, oh, when I'm going trying to recruit kids from California, it's easy to sell them on. Well, you can go see your kid at San Jose State or Fresno State or. Um, you know, even drive over to Reno, depending on where you're at. And, like, there was games that were close where I think that makes sense now when you're looking at, like, the Florida, Mississippi's, Alabama's, like, when we're getting kids like that now, it's like, well, yeah, when we're playing UL Monroe and Troy, USA, it kind of makes more sense that we were recruiting kind of down in the south where before, like, why aren't we recruiting Northwest kids? It's like, you because know, it's easier to recruit when you can sell that you're going to get to watch your kids now because now it's, the only time you can watch your kids is if you make it out to Moscow. So I, I thought that was unique hearing it from the coach's perspective because when you brought up the Sun Belt thing, I totally agreed. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I'd rather be on a, a five-hour flight than a five-hour bus ride. That total sense. I can do more on a plane than I can sitting and cramped in a bus seat. But then hearing the coaching side of it, it's different side of the coin. Yeah, I think it kind of explains a lot of Coach Trino's decision-making and recruiting since he first stepped on campus. Um you know, so when we travel as players, we get two tickets. You get two free tickets as a player to every away game. And I, I had family in the South where my parents would go. I would say most times we were down there, every game was – you couldn't come by two tickets from the 60 guys traveling. It was all 120 tickets or so would be taken up because of the amount of people that were from the South on the team. And, you know, we recruited to where we were playing at the time, and, and it paid off for us. And, the, you know, to win that bowl game in 16 and be competitive in 17 and 15, um, you know, props to Coach Retrino, no understanding of where we were playing our games and how to attack that base and also hiring coaches that had a history recruiting in the South. And then you saw a complete shift on our recruiting strategy when we did the Big Sky. A yeah. lot more time – we spent a lot more time in Arizona now recruiting than we ever did. We were in the Sun Belt. I noticed that right away. A lot more time in California than we ever used to than when I was in the Sun Belt. So things have shifted. We're getting more Northwest kids, more West Coast kids, but that's just kind of back to where we're playing. So props to the coaching staff for kind of understanding um, their strengths and their weaknesses. It was really cool to hear Aki talk about that 09 bowl game, specifically for me because I, I brought it up to him when he was kind of asking, like, you know, no offense, not no offense, but he's like, you know, I'm curious why, why are you guys interested in having me on? Because obviously, as we know, it, it didn't work out. He ended up having to move on. But it's like, because you were, and how I introduced him, you were a very electric personality. Like, as a vandal, like, I think every vandal rooted for you to pull this off. And mm-hmm. I, I told him that, like, me, a, a student in 09, in high school in Boise, 
I went to that 09 humanitarian bowl and them going for two and my dad wanting to leave and me convincing him to stay is what drove me to go to Idaho over Washington State. So I told him, like, you were an intricate reason of why I went to Idaho. And growing up an Idaho and Wazoo fan, I was very aware of Aki from his time at Wazoo, which we touched on a little bit of his teams there. And it was cool, and I really like how we were able to tie it back to the big sky because I think when he was a coach at Idaho, it wasn't something that got brought up because big sky wasn't a question at the time. You know, we had just joined the WAC. The WAC looked relatively steady at the time. Things were good. Yeah, and so no one considered, like, well, Idaho could go back to the big sky. And now we have this coach who, who played in the big sky, coached in the big sky, played against Idaho in the big sky. And I think it was cool because I'm not aware of anybody else having such a conversation with them. So I think that on its own made it unique. And um, so I, I thought having hearing 09, how it built, and then just kind of hearing all of it was I, – I enjoyed the interview. It's one of the favorite ones we've had on so far. But I just got to say – I've always had this in my head. I'm just curious on your guys' thought on this. When Lee Corso decides he's tired of traveling around the country and putting on mascot heads, and the day comes, maybe in coincides, <laughs> where Rob Aikie decides he no longer wants to be a head ball coach, is he not the perfect fill-in to take over Corso? Just, I, I, he's the most electric personality, I think, in football. Right? I mean, maybe P.J. Fleck, but... I, I love just listening to him talk. It's like he didn't even have to be a Vandal coach. He could have been a Boise State coach, and I still probably would have wanted him on here just because he – I think he's always been enjoyable to listen to. And, like, uh, Brian and I have compared him to multiple times. Rob Fennessy is kind of like the poor man's Rob Akey. Like, same kind of mannerism, same kind of, like, go-get-it attitude, very upbeat, kind of weird mannerisms that are just very him. Given the choice between Rob Fennessy and Rob Akey, I'd, I'd take Akey every day, but – uh, it, it first thing I said was fantasy reminded me of Aki, so it was so cool having him on. Uh, that my takeaway was just, I was just happy. I mean, looking at the live stream, I probably just looked like a giddy little schoolgirl because I was just smiling and chuckling at like everything he said. But I had a blast, and yeah, I, I so stand by it. The thing too about Aki that's different is, and of course, he. I'm not trying to pretend that when when anyone tells the story of when they were somewhere, it's always a slightly favorable. Though you know they don't tell the worst version of themselves, of course. Yeah. But he he was pretty open about a ton of stuff that. Yes, he told a lot he, of stuff. A lot of yeah, a lot of coaches aren't like you know he he was open about how when it wasn't just that the conference died, um, the whack which sucked, but it was the conference dying plus the money going away was a huge deal for the program he was running. We, I had no idea he was going to address something like that. I'd heard, you know, this is rumor like, yeah, that really was a problem with the conference shifting. But he went further in depth with that than I would have thought. Uh, you know, his story about getting hired and, you know, getting ready to just say, look, I'm not coming. And then the call came. Uh, like that was open in a way that, you know, I did media days last year. And the only coach who I'd say was actually open that way is so Troy Taylor was. Um, but that's also because Troy Taylor was pretty damn relaxed and doesn't seem to really give a shit. Uh, Bobby Houck has the, he has like his brackets where if you ask the question within the right bracket, he'll be open, but don't, if you're an inch off that, there's nothing. But Rob Akey, I didn't feel like I had to inter try to interpret all, all the stuff he was saying and think about how to perfectly word this question. He just talks. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. no framing questions. It was, talk about this. I got He's a... He's a straight shooter. Yeah, comes at you. Right. Comes first, at you. First question no we like, talked about was, 
tell us about your time at Weber State. And he's like, oh, man, all right, how long do you want this to be? And it's like, just like that. Yeah. It's like, you could just give him an inch, we, and he'll take the mile. And we wanted him to take the mile. So, I mean, right. well, I, was, I was happy with it. Sorry, Alex, you were saying So something. I want to no, go, ahead, go back one thing, too. And this is just, you know, Chris, I'm relating to the question, you know, the Rob AQ question, hey, why have me on? I, I don't know a ton of examples of fan bases where there's a decision made to fire a coach, but the fan base years later still has a, a mostly positive view on the guy. Yeah. You know, like we, we've talked about Tom Cable and there's a large vandal contingency that is let's just say not pro cable mm-hmm. you know he's an example of a guy who's fired now dennis erickson leaves on his own that's different uh we fired Aki, and i think a lot of people i'm one of these people i really wish it would have worked out differently i oh, have i think everybody no i don't have and lingering antagonism towards rob Aki. i i just wish it would have ended better yeah and i think if you're a central michigan recruit like i, I doubt any of them listen to this maybe but I can tell you, as a fan of a team that did, he, you know, did fire him, love him. Like, there's nothing about him I didn't love. And I think some things didn't shake his way, like we brought up. The conference started to fall apart. It was hard to win at that time. Like, there was so much uncertainty. And it was his first time coaching, so as a head coach. So I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of years he has another head gig. He spent the time with the Redskins, with uh, the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, he's made his rounds around the country, Florida. So, I mean, he's been mm-hmm. Power 5, NFL, Group of 5, FCS. I, I think he'll get another shot somewhere. It's just who's going to give it to him. And, I mean, like I said, this, it's hard to find a, a place where things didn't work out and he had to be let go before his contract was done. And people still love that person that much. And not like a, uh, like a, you know, a Beamer or somebody like that where it's like, oh, they've been there forever. He was only there for, what, six seasons? So, yeah. I mean, relatively short and I mean that's actually pretty long in today's standards but you know it's not like he spent decades building this team and you have to let him go because they're not competitive now in their old age he just had stuff not going his way around the program that led to make it harder for him to win at the program and unfortunately we made a move and I think you can see that with part of the reason that Petrino struggled so early is he was dealing with much of the fallout that was happening when Aki was there of now we're independent. Now we're in the Sun Belt again, which Aki talked about was the main reason he didn't take the job mm-hmm. the first time around. Uh, and, and then you see that we start to get some stability. We're in the Sun Belt for the second or third year, I think, when we win the bowl game. Same thing with Aki. Third year, just boom, things take off. We win a bowl. It's, I think st- stability shows, but now we're seeing it a little bit now, right? Everything started to crumble. We lost the Sun Belt Conference. We're in the Big Sky. Aki even said it. We should have. We should have won the first two years in the Big Sky. And this guy grew up playing in the big sky, and he can admit that a team coming from where we were, especially in the Sun Belt, probably should have competed better than we did. And I think it just goes to show that stability and and, and, uh, concept of your program when you're going into kitchens. And Petrino touched on this when we talked to him at Media Days. It's like he was saying the second year around is easy because we're like, no, this is where we are and we're here. Where before it's like, well, how much do you care if you're dropping? It's like now there's no more of that conversation. We've dropped. We can just sell on. We're here. And – I think we all are big believers that uh, you're going to see a turning in the tide in the next one or I definitely think two years from now. I think we're a serious contender for the big, possibly a big sky championship, if not a playoff spot next year. I think we have a chance. I think it's just, we had to get the stability back in the program. This will be our third year in the big sky. And it, I don't know I, how it shows this third year is a good year for some stuff. So maybe this is the yeah. year. Maybe we're the, we're the Sac state this year. Who knows? 
and real quick, kind of on that point about Petrino, um, you know, everything that went wrong for Aki, I think now we people need to look at the job that Paul has done and applaud that even more. The fact that we he took a situation that had no stability, took a situation where he's independent, then to the Sun Belt for only a four year contract, won a bowl game, won coach of the year, came within multiple play came within a couple of plays of going to another bowl game the year after that, after being told we are dropping. I think uh, you know, sometimes people need to take and appreciate what Paul did, what Petrino did in that in, that, in those years and how tough the job that is that I know actually is and was. I mean, I it was great to have a Coach Akeon, I mean, I loved it. You're going to love it. Not a lot of Hey Bubba's, which was surprising, but oh. um, I don't know. Maybe someday we'll have him on again. He hit us up after asking if that was everything we wanted. So I could be like, maybe, no, actually, like, we've got a million more things that we could talk to you about. So maybe maybe a recurring guest. We'll see. But uh, for now, we got him on. You guys requested it. That's why that survey that we keep plugging is so important because um, it gives us stuff like that when I can go to him and go, you were the second most requested guest. So, you know, they, it's not just us wanting you on or one random person. Like, uh, quite a few people are like, we'd love to hear from Akey. He's doing cool things at, uh, as a defensive coordinator at Central Michigan right now. So, it, it was cool. But uh, we talked about it. We were expecting a good 2020 season possibly, or at least a, 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 an improvement and possibly good or great. Is 2020 going to happen? That that's, that's a whole different question. There's been a lot of stuff coming out. Uh, Brian, why don't you kind of run through some of the – just what's happened in the last couple of days and some news breaking, I guess, Bre- breaking news. Yeah, we have about three things that we're going to tie together here that relate to 2020 projection speculation. Uh, the first is uh, Tom Listersell, Big Sky Commissioner, was on the press box with Larry Weir. He, Larry Weir's the Eastern Washington play-by-play announcer for basketball and I believe football as well. Um, and he talked about uh, the ne- upcoming season the two big points that I took away from this was one in explaining, giving institutional control uh, to when sports needs to start. Um, what Tom, what Commissioner Wistersell said is this year, fairness has to go out the window about uniform start, uniform practices, because there is no way for the eight states the big sky's in to come to any sort of reasonable point that every team could start at. So in his mind, it's look, it's just a different year. We want the season. That's the big question. So um, if people were thinking, okay, will spring ball be kind of uniform school to school? The answer is probably no, not at all. It's probably going to be much different in Montana than California. Uh, relating to that, uh, the commissioner also said, he he believes if we cannot have fans in the game uh, live at the game he does not believe we should be playing or that would be his opinion is he doesn't believe we should have the season now that that wasn't like a binding statement but it is interesting to hear decision makers do have that differentiation for the fcs lynn hickey athletic director at eastern washington uh, she said the same thing for eastern of if eastern can't have fans at the game she doesn't see how they could have the game in the first place. And uh, last point to tie in, I had an exchange with Chris Sylvester. He's a, uh, he's an announcer for Cal Poly. And he told me that at this point, even though the CSU schools have said for the most part, they're not going to have people come on campus in the fall. uh, Chris Sylvester said the team 
and the school is preparing as though they will have fall sports this coming season, all of which is uh, a little bit counter to what we might, we all thought, or we believe we heard last week. Yeah. Cause that, that's interesting. Cause I, you know, I had a back and forth with Kyler Neal about this, that I was thinking because of the NCAA's like talk that if there's no students on campus, then we can't have sports. Like you can't have students and not have student or you can't have students, but then require student athletes to be there. But it sounds like that's not necessarily a pour down rule. That's more of like a suggestion at the time being. So there is the chance that the California schools could play. It sounds like, and I think what everything Tom Wisher still said is, yeah, there's a chance that there isn't going to be some competitive fairness this year. And there are going to be states that open up sooner, and it, it it's just the way this year is going to be. But it's better – and I kind of agree with this. And it, It's better to have football than not, like, push stuff back for certain states, then never open up. And then you have this whole other can of worms of, like, we're not doing football till like, we just skip a 2020 season. And how's that work with eligibility? And, I mean, it sucks, but – I mean, Aiki said it almost for like the sanity of the American culture. Like, even if it's no fans at this point, like, which is crazy to think because back in the day, I didn't think they were even going to cancel anything. I was like, I was with LeBron. I'm like, there's no fans. Like, that's just not going to happen. Like, I remember when the Dragons and the XFL team in Seattle here and the Sounders and the governor came out and said, there's a chance we might cancel all, you know, sporting events. It's like, fuck. Yeah, that's like last-ditch effort. That's not happening. You know how much people would riot that the Sounders season after winning MLS Cup, two games in, you're going to tell them they can't play anymore? Yeah, right. Or, or the XFL, like this hot team that's pulling 40,000 people and was leading the entire league in attendance? Like, good luck. Like, how's that going to work with FS1? Like, there's a reason they picked Seattle. And sure enough, both MLS season postponed till like, June 15th, and the XFL, as we know, folded. So, uh it's also crazy, but one thing I saw Witcher still say too is about the floating schedules, which is like you might, if California's not open, maybe you sacrifice playing at California school. So, like, with the non conference games gone, it's like you could move some stuff. And so, like, if it's hard to make it to Montana State when you would, like, if you're California right now and you have an opening, you would go play Montana and Montana State, and then Idaho would go play, like, the other, like, and trying to do it that way, where there's almost not a set schedule, but you have your set home games, which, I mean, I'm just glad to see they're brainstorming, because I haven't seen much from the Pac-12. I mean, Alex, you might be able to enlighten us more on this, but I actually feel like the Big Sky is doing a lot to try to, like, figure this out compared to some of the major conferences. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, things are going to get decided on a state level, and it's just super weird. You know, Idaho... And I don't care which way you lean, red, blue, um, left or right. It's going to be on political lines in terms of how states reopen. I think you see a lot more red states open faster compared to a, a lot of blue states. You might see California not open till September, or Washington might not open till July one in their second phase inside Seattle. Um, you know, and so I think where's Idaho and states states that the big sky Montana for another example will open sooner and also that's the number of cases but also just the way their leaders you know view of importance um you know the Pac-12 is in a really weird spot extremely weird spot their universities consist of in Washington Oregon 
California, Arizona, Colorado, Utah. I could see a scenario where all the California schools don't play football, all of the Oregon schools don't play football, and the Washington schools don't play football. Mm-hmm. So what? But let's say Arizona State and Arizona play football, they're going to be in a spot. Same with Colorado and Utah. They they might be able to play football. Um, you know, I'm hearing things in terms of they might play in the spring. Everything might get moved to the spring because right now we're talking about no students on campus in the fall. Uh, how can you have, you know, fans in the state of California at this point in the fall seem that's going to be a non-existent thing. I don't see fans entering the stands in USC this year or LA Rams games, things like that. But fans can pack the dome potentially just because of where we're at and how things develop there. You know, it's, I think I've also heard things such as hardship waivers. It, let's say the state of Washington says, all right, we can't have any fans at sporting events. So Eastern decides not to play football. Um, I've heard situations where the NCAA will then allow every student at a school that does not play a season to have an immediate transfer without with immediate eligibility. So all of a sudden you can see a bunch of kids from California, Oregon, Washington schools just transfer out and that talent market's going to be open up and it's going to be a really weird situation that would be insane Uh, yeah like how's that affect especially because i mean like you said it's more of a west coast because it affects the northeast a lot Mm -hmm. which i mean yes in the fcs level that's a bigger deal than it is in the fbs level with like rutgers and maryland and syracuse like, but it, yeah, in the SCS level, we have quite a few. We have a whole conference up there. But USC, like, where are those players going to go? They're not coming to the SCS level. Like, they're probably not coming to the Big Sky. They they probably go to like Oregon or UW, but those schools are probably not going to open Oregon either. UW can't yeah. play. Yeah, so and I've heard from the Northern Colorado Aaron Rath, their side by side guy, that apparently Colorado's following suit with Oregon, California. So now the Colorado schools are probably following the same suit so they're out so you're looking at utah the arizona schools where you're gonna go to like ut alabama clemson like you're gonna go to the sec country so you're gonna have like a max exodus of talent from the west coast because if if you're a player at sc you you have nfl aspirations and that's probably your goal now if you're going to school at cal poly you're probably more focused on going to school for free and getting a degree from a really good institution but if you're at USC, you're thinking you're going to the pros. And so you're not going to sit out a year. You're probably going to transfer. And I just think, man, it's just the can of worm, The repercussions of this is going to be felt, I think, for years. I mean, they've talked about how we always thought the conference realignment was going to happen because of TV money. Conference God, realignment, this. yeah, might start happening just to become, what, in my opinion, what it should be, more regionalized again. And you're playing teams in your region. It's Well, can I, I remember at this point is – Football, for the most part, at the Division One level, FCS, FBS, we fly. We fly private charter. You yeah. get you get direct on the plane. You deal with very few people, besides people on your program. Every Olympic sport in the fall, soccer, volleyball, cross country, they all fly commercial. Mm-hmm. How are you? How are you going to tell a volleyball player at the University of Idaho who's like, uh, I'm not. I don't want to go. You know what I mean? How are you yeah. going to tell someone like that on a commercial flight? in august in september come on let's go through the airport let's go through three airports and get around you know thousands of people how are you going to tell them that so it's going to be a weird student athlete power power um structure that you're never going to you never would have seen before um 
And that's the whole thought of California. Um, San Jose State's AD said they're planning on having a football season. And I, this is the reason I don't see California having a football season. Any, any CSU school to have a season. That's San Diego State, San Jose State, Fresno State, Cal Poly, Sac State. How can you tell a student athlete you have to be on campus when every other student does not have to be? Yeah. How can you, how can you tell them you have to be here? You can't. And I think you're going to see student athletes come out with more power than ever before, even with the whole um, name image like this thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. You're, you, it's the NCAA is going to have to kind of show their true colors in this one. Are they viewing people on scholarship as athlete students or are they viewing them as student athletes? And I think, mm-hmm. you know, the rubber's going to meet the road on this argument this year between the likeness. I think they've already kind of showed that, I mean, I guess, for instance, in college, I could have sold my likeness, but yeah, no one's going to buy my likeness. But if I'm, John, for instance, Johnny Manziel, I bought his Johnny Manziel shirt in college. He didn't get any money off that. You know how much money he probably would have made making money on, you know, Johnny football's apparel? So Zion. Yeah, yeah, Zion Williamson. Tua. Even, Tua. Yeah, Tua, Marcus Mariota. Like, there's Tim Tebow. Like, there are guys that could have made some serious, like life-altering money, whether they made it in the NFL or not, like Johnny Manziel and Tim Tebow, that wasn't available to them, and that has changed. And now I think what you said, that's a great point now, is it's almost going to come down to like the uh, the women's national team versus the men's national team in soccer right now, where the women are having the equal pay lawsuit. It's going to come down to, yes, some of these rules are being bent for football, like oh, we're going to have athletes back on so we can play football. But like you said, if you're a volleyball player or golf player, tennis player, like, like no, I'm not flying commercial just because you need a football team to go play in Alabama for a million dollars. Like, I'm not flying to – like, our, I think Hanford's in our in the big sky for golf. Like, if you're a U of I men's golf player, like, are you going to fly to Hanford on a commercial airline right now, right into the heart of the Northeast? Like, I don't know. I think you're going to have to show, like, like you said, I think athletes are gonna have to start to show like we're not we're not your normal students, and it's you gotta start either treating us like that or treat us as students. And if students aren't back, we're not back. It's gonna be interesting. Interesting. Hold different there's argument. An, there's an in between situation right now too. To, now I want to get to specifics of some of the schools we're talking about, and this is why. Last week, I said there's just no way the schedule printed right now is what we actually see, and that's exactly what we, you know, learned when Tom Winstersill was talking about speculation that, or sorry, the, uh, contingencies the conference is trying to put together to be able to have a season. You know, let's just compare two universities right now: University of Idaho, Eastern Washington. Uh, University of Idaho, according to spokesman Jody Walker. Uh, Idaho is right now expecting to have students back on campus and to have classes take place within physical physical class will take place on campus is what they're planning right now they're of course planning for backup in case something's different but that's their viewpoint right now is at idaho there's going to be there will be people there eastern washington they are not planning to have people on campus except for they're going to have in-person labs that deal with that have like social distancing guidelines as well as there's some other types of class, but they're expecting almost most classes to be done online, which creates this weird in between of, well, if you have a lab class now, you do need maybe to be on site. And if some things are open, I mean, I guess maybe you view the athletes as well. They just will get special attention at their 
facilities but of course all that spacing goes out the window when you're you know tackling someone it's going to be super interesting and i don't think there is a right answer it's and like i said from each week we've been on here where we've covered it three or four weeks each time other than this week actually pretty much saying we're just not going to talk about it but just it, it is the hot topic you can't really avoid it right now but uh it's it changes every week from what we said four weeks ago it's totally different than what we're saying today what we're saying today is going to be different than what we're saying four weeks ago or four weeks from now. So, uh, any closing points on this? Or I know we have a, a rumors by Alex segment coming up. I don't know if we we've touched on some of your rumors, Alex, or if you, you have yeah. some. We we didn't uncover all all the rumors. You're yeah, our Adam Schefter. <laughs> One quick point, which is heading into relating to what we're talking about Mm -hmm. is Eastern Washington just announced that they are going to have to uh, cut their athletic budget by between 20 and 30% due to a 2.1 million loss in revenue, which was on top of an, uh, already they, their athletic department had a $5 million deficit, not annual, but they had a $5 million deficit that was further hit with uh, 2.1 million loss in revenue. Um, so that's part of why, uh, Lynn Hickey said with the cost of running an event and team travel, she doesn't know how the heck they could even have us, they could play without fans and ticket sales to offset some of that. Yeah. Which, I mean, to be fair, what's their ticket sales? Six, that's not stadium hole 8,000. I mean, I get it. That's money. I'm not trying to downplay it. We'd love to have 8,000 in every game too, but I mean, it's not like your Montana that's losing 25,000 seats, you know. They literally almost have 20,000 more people there. But, I, I mean, I get it. it. It's still serious either way because Eastern has, obviously, some athletic or uh, finance issues. With the fact that how dominant does a team have to be where you can't even get them a new turf or a, a stadium funded for the, the renovation? Like, it's such a proud program, and I just don't get it. I, I get that there isn't necessarily the deep-rooted history like at Idaho – where it goes back, got them all uh, a century. Like they don't have NFL Hall of Famers. They they have a guy like Mike or Mikey Apati now in Cooper Cup, but um, yeah, I guess they just haven't had the rich history. But yeah, I just find it so f- odd that their entire stadium renovation. I could be wrong on this. I don't have it pulled up in front of me. Is about the same price as the ICCU Arena, and I mean yes, we're not completely funded with the ICCU Arena, but also, we're in an all-time downswing in sports, probably ever, and like this, people are just kind of tired of it. I think a lot of people don't think it's actually broken ground because it's been talked about for 20 years, That, which I guess may be their thing because they've been talking about renovating the stadium for a while too. But I just find it so weird that a team that's made two national championships last decade can't fund – what are they looking for, like $17 million? They're looking for twenty five. And they've raised five point five million, but five million was a one-time gift from one person. Probably. So they Bruce aside from that, I don't know. Yeah, aside that kind of money. So aside from that five million dollar thing, they they've actually only raised half a million bucks. Half a million. Yeah, they had a one guy gave them five million. The rest combined is at point five. I gave them like. One hundred and eighty-six dollars. I'm like, I, oh, 
120th percent of their, I don't know, that's not a math major here, but damn, I'm like a significant amount of their donor base. They should be putting me up in a box next year. Jeez Louise. I didn't know that. I mean, I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. They have 5.5 million. Holy mackerel. And knowing yeah, there's how books go, knowing how these things go, they probably have more than that. They just haven't said they have that amount of money. True. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. It was probably sitting closer to 10. But even then, I the fact they've only raised 10 in this short period of time, we got 10 for the naming rights. Yeah, to, I was going to say, like, do they not have – like? So, they just not selling naming rights. I mean, I know Ruse Field, but that's a field. Like, couldn't you still have like, yeah, like, like how the, the Broncos did? It's uh, what whatever that guy's their coach, yeah, the coach's name field, Lyle Smith or whatever, and then it's uh, Broncos Stadium. Well, now it's Albertson's Broncos Stadium. It's like, I don't know, like name yeah. it for Christ's sakes. Like ICCU paid us. Would you say ten million dollars to name like naming rights? It's got to be a Washington Central Credit Union, like somebody, <laughs> <laughs> like if a credit union in Idaho can fork that over, somebody somewhere can sponsor Eastern Washington. I mean, Numerica is right out of Spokane. That's right there. Yeah. Boom. Hire me, Lynn Hickey. I'll get you guys naming rights. I can think of a <laughs> bunch of companies in just Spokane that would probably kill to sponsor it. Or just go to Gonzaga and say, who's everybody that couldn't give us the list for <laughs> yeah, all your know. naming. And we'll just go from number two down because they obviously <laughs> lost the bid and they wanted to name something. <laughs> <laughs> no but, kidding. Yeah. Um, so we kind of skipped your, your rumors there, but yeah. do you have any, any rumors? Um, you know, talk to some guys. You know, I keep my, my ear pretty close to the pavement um, in the athletics world, the world that I work in. But, you know, some guys have said, some players have told me in Idaho that they wouldn't be surprised if it, things make it played in the spring. They think there's going to be a season. Um I've also heard some sentiments that, man, if we're, if we're playing six or eight games, I don't want to play. If we were playing six games like that, I don't want to play. Not meaning that they're not going to play. It's just that morale would be at an all-time low um, if that kind of thing happens. And, you know, I think the floating schedule thing will be interesting because all of a sudden, let's say Washington or Oregon don't play games. That is one-third of our schedule is built from schools or California, even California too, about one third to half our schedule is built from schools from those three States who could all of a sudden not play football. Um, so what do you do? Maybe Boise State's looking for a game, just throwing that out. They're not saying that's going to happen, but uh, don't be surprised if things kind of are last minute with regards to schedule. Um, and the number of players that you could see transfer, what happens to Eric Berrier at Eastern Washington? Damn. If, if Eastern doesn't play, yeah. you know, Once is again. he going to an FBS team? Is, is someone like Boise State trying to go get him? Um, who knows? Yeah. So, and you know, more some rumors, some speculation, but speculation is kind of built off of some rumors in terms yeah. of. Uh, I don't think you're going to see uh, 130 FBS teams and about 120 FCS teams taking the field this fall. I think you might see somewhere near half that number. Yeah. It's almost like you wish we had more time because they probably could have came up with a really great way to do this, like combine FBS, FCS for the teams that can't play and can't play. But, I mean, it's too late. You're not throwing that stuff together. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like Western Oregon we open with, are they going to be able to play? Probably not. So there's even a non-conference gone, which is why I, I made a shameless plug the other day on my Idaho State article where I was like, yo, what, what about Idaho State? Week zero, 2021, why are we playing Simon Frazier, which is already a bad move in my opinion, but I get um, there's stuff that goes on behind the scenes in scheduling. 
get Idaho State yeah. on and do like a 50-50 revenue split from ticket sales and everything like that. Maybe people don't like my played in Boise idea. I think it's genius. It's halfway between both schools. Both have large alumni bases. But either way, there's a way to make this work. And so even it's if, real quick, real quick. Yeah. That, your idea was to play at the new uh, Boise Hawk Stadium. I just looked for an article today. Sadly, it didn't get any funding. So there's yeah. going to be no soccer, baseball, same. But if we don't play at Boise State, I, you know, I, College of Idaho has a nice five to 10,000 seat stadium just sitting there in Caldwell. True. Put poor seats on one side, brand new turf field. It'd be a be a raucous atmosphere either way I around. do think you'd have to bring in more seats, yeah. though. I feel like yeah. between Idaho, Idaho State, week zero, like we're, we're crazy for green turf. Just bring green turf. That's all you got to do. Just bring green turf. Green turf and bangles and vandals will show. Uh, yeah. But, no, I, I don't know. Call me greedy, but I have no problem playing on Boise State's field. I mean, we're – We're 3-0 in bowl games. Yeah. If, if we're not game. playing Boise State, we're undefeated there. Maybe we cracked the code. It's just you have to play in Boise as an Idaho team, and you win. Not play Boise State. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So we cracked the code. Um, but I, I honestly think you'd sell that thing out. I mean, we've practically sold out for bowl games. I can tell you more Vandals would probably get up. Well, okay, maybe not. But a lot of Vandals would get up to play Idaho State as much as they did Bowling Green, Southern Miss, and Colorado State. Probably 15,000, 20,000 Vandal fans in Boise yeah. State. State. Probably another five to 10,000 Idaho State yeah, fans. I think so, especially – especially the first year, and then if you do it, what, we're only going to fall off the schedule every four, five years, four or five, with the way the Big Sky set up, so that it's a one in every five years thing. It becomes a thing as a student. It's the one year. It's a neutral site game. You go to it, and I don't I think it's a genius idea. Play it um, always on Thanksgiving break because we, there's never any students in Moscow anyway. That's true. Break. Yeah, you start could start moving it there. That would be genius because yeah. most of the student base is there, which is why the basketball games do so well. But I think 2021, you do it week zero – I think you'd make a ton of money, but uh, that's just me, and I don't know the logistics of it, and I don't know how much Boise State would try to ring those two schools to play on their field too, which is probably part of it. But uh, we covered Eastern Washington's budget. The uh, Speaking of raising money, you can buy the good old silver jerseys in the white 150 Big Sky jerseys from uh, the Vandal Scholarship Fund right now to raise money. For the VSF, because we have new, I think it's just away jerseys coming in this year. I know some people have showed blacks and whites, but the fact that they're selling the whites and the grays and not the blacks, plus we just got new blacks last year, I think. I think people should be more focused. It's going to be an away jersey, in my opinion. Maybe an alternate, like the silver, but I think we've kind of, we're in the field now where if we're taking names off the back of the jerseys, we're probably not rocking alternates, so... Um, I mean, what are you guys' kind of thoughts? I really love the idea that they're selling the old jerseys because I've always yeah. said, like, especially because the bookstore doesn't sell a replica jersey anymore. Like, I've always been like, I would love to rock a jersey. Now, I am don't play football, obviously. I'm 5'5", five, five, but, uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to fit in a form-fitted, meant-for-pads jersey, but just having one will be nice, I guess, because – I've got my ratty old, I think it was a Ryan Bass, whoever that running back was that we got from Arizona State, was like the last replica jersey they made. I got one of those. It looks like dog. Like, I don't even wear it. So, I definitely, I, I put in for a, a silver four, and I'm waiting on the white. I told you guys, I guess I'll break it to the world. Um, talking about athlete students and not student athletes. I'm going to be kind of trying to play a hunch looking at the current roster on what number I think CJ, Mr. C.J. Jordan might pick because I think that will be a jersey that ages really well. 
Um, so I've kind of been playing with that. Otherwise, I, I haven't really decided totally on my whites since 88 was gone. Um, maybe I'll get a Boatman. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, I think the silver one's already been spoken for, but I think the white's still out there. I still have a really cool, uh, after the bowl game in 16, we got to keep our whites. Yeah, uh, that's cool. Because you wanted them. So right? I took it, took it off the pads, took it home. I still have my white bowl jersey. Name on the back, bowl patch right here. So it says famous side potato bowl. And I have my black, my old black jersey in a frame that they give every senior after they graduate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we are, we are keeping the blacks. The blacks were new in 18. I think we'll probably get new blacks either next year or the year after that. The silvers had to be retired due to uh, people in our conference, not wanting us to wear them because of apparently hard to see the numbers from the press box or on TV or on film. So unfortunately no more silvers, uh, no more, no more white helmet. We only have our gold helmet now. Uh, that white helmet that we wore last season, I'm going to take you back. That white helmet was originally the black helmets we started sporting in 2012 really? or 2013. It got painted to silver and gray in 2016, and then it got painted white in 2018. Those were the same helmets. I, was that, I had that same helmet my whole time through, painted three different colors. Those golds, those golds we got brand new in 2015 um, – from a donor, a donor gave enough money for us to get brand new gold helmets. So uh, we're gonna I, have the gold. I like but, the gold. Oh, actually, wait a minute. I think we're painting our helmet. I can't really tell you which color helmet's gonna be. Um, it might be white. Maybe painting them white because for all those of you who love holding on to the the old Vegas gold, say goodbye. Uh, I'm gonna break it to you. The, the whites. I've seen them. They're new whites, and it's gonna be black and a little bit of that new Vandal Pride gold. So. Yeah. I think we're we're doing the switch. I mean, I've got stickers on my phone now. I got from the university and yeah. stuff, and they're all they're doing the tubs of the club yellow. Uh, that's yeah. how I'm gonna brand it. Uh, pride, pride, pride gold. Yeah, pride yeah. gold. Pride gold. Yeah. It's not yellow. It's not yellow. It's not yellow. It's not a. It, it peed in snow. It is. Uh, it is gold, gold, even though it looks like yellow. But <laughs> I do love. I love the gold helmets with the script. I guess your opinion as a player. I mean, I'm sure as a player you don't care, but now as like a, as a fan growing up, then as a player, and now, what are kind of some of your favorite jersey combos we've had? Because I've always said I actually love the gold helmet with the script. Mm -hmm. that, that is like my favorite staple Vandal look, but then I would love to see some Grumpy Joe incorporated maybe once a year like Homecoming when we throw on Grumpy Joe. You know, so I've, I've grown up with a lot of different Vandal jerseys. I have my favorites. I actually watched the 1998 highlight um dvd from the team two days ago i have it chris if you need it let me know we live like down the street from each other plug it's a it's on top of the club's uh youtube channel i have oh, it as well I, I, I mean i didn't upload it it wasn't me but uh okay. it's on the interwebs but um <laughs> you know idaho was always kind of bland for a few years there when i showed up we had gold we had black helmets black and white jerseys gold and black pants that's all we had uh Thought it could be a lot cooler. My favorites, I love. What do we wear? Oh, I love the all silver. Um, yeah. The all silvers were awesome because our colors are silver and gold. Not that people forget we're not black and gold. Mm -hmm. I love that silver, and that was something I tried to push for a lot. Was lifting more silver. So I loved also the bowl game combo, the silver white silver classic away look looked good. Yeah. I love when we wore all white uh, against Eastern in uh, in, two, in twenty it uh, in twenty eighteen. That looked the all white. Good was looking the storm trooper look yeah yeah so that was that was one of my more favorite ones but i do i do love gold white gold at the end of the day the, the that gold white gold does look really yeah. good um 
and one thing that I've kind of I'm, I'm maybe trying to push our equipment guys for. Um, you, do you guys know Montana State's gold jersey they have? Yeah, the, they do gold rush to start the year every year. Yeah. So, so I think actually white helmet that kind of gold, our our version of gold with a jersey with with black accents, <laughs> white, white pants would actually look pretty good. I like that. That's not a bad a, idea. And then just wear it once a year. To wear because I was just as you were talking, I was like, nothing about it. I can't think of like. The last, I mean, I'm sure we did in like the 70s, 80s, an actual yellow or sorry, gold jersey. Um, we did, we did. John Yarno back when John Yarno played, it used to be silver, gold, silver. Yeah, I was gold, actually looking gold, at some silver. highlights for that. So I'm working on an article right now about the helmets, and so I was kind of I found a helmet project website, and I was trying to get pictures of every mm-hmm. helmet, and so the library has a bunch of archives, and I was trying to screenshot, but. Man, video we, cameras back in the day were not very, very we good. Went, we went kind of crazy with our our uniform combos in that 2016, 17, 18 year. We kind of, which was fun. Yeah. A lot of non traditional looks. Um, wore gold, black, silver, silver, black, silver, white, black, white. That was one I liked too. Was white, black, white. Mm-hmm. Wore what else did we wear? Uh, we wore like gold, silver, gold, gold, silver, silver. We almost had something different every weekend which made it fun as a player like oh what are we wearing this weekend what are we wearing what are we wearing it's a recruiting piece and um i actually read a good article um from forbes about how georgia kind of used to wear the black jersey but not as much as they used to but now because of name image likeness you're going to start seeing more alternate uniforms in the world Mm. because they give schools and players opportunities to have their names put on jerseys and their jerseys sold more that is smart because now you're having it like the uh I know there's like uh, slightly different Bulls last stands. There's a Jordan jersey where one year Jordan like for like six games wore 43, and I know that's like 45. a 45, and that's like a super rare jersey to get, and you kind of create that. It's like a yeah, you know, they wore black once in two years, and I got you know Aaron Murray or I guess Jake Fromm, you know their jersey or Jacob Eason, like something like that, where it comes kind of like a, a cult classic-y thing. So that is cool. But thoughts on script or do you prefer the block oh, i or I don't, grumpy joe is my favorite yeah. i remember when we used to wear grumpy joe a few times love the script but then i love i love grumpy joe we tried to do a cool thing where we would go idaho on the road and then script vandals at home in the last couple of years that's what our equipment guys tried to do i kind of like kind that kind of like a baseball type thing we kind of yeah. wear nickname on the front and then city name when you're on the road i'm not a huge fan of the block idaho but I, yeah. I, I do think it looked – I think personally it looked better on the whites and the silver helmets. Not as good. Mm-hmm. The gold looks really good with the Vandal in my opinion. It does. It but, does. And then I noticed the van on the gray – it was either grays or the whites. I think it was the whites. They had the Vandals in a gray as I'm writing this article. They have it in a gray font once, and then they have it in a gold font and a white font. So they like yeah. changed up the Vandals. And that's stuff like I didn't notice at the time, but now I'm looking at it. I'm like, that was cool. And like when I'm trying to yeah. find pictures of it now, I'm like – like I think the silver on the white looked really cool, and so like I'm starting to notice that more. But when you're when you're poor as a university and you can't do too many alternate uniforms, you can change up things like uh, font and script because those have to re- be replaced all the time because mm-hmm. that much hel- helmets beatings beatings helmet takes. So yeah. uh, a little cheap way to kind of give yourself a little flair. Yeah. So what's your opinion on the? Uh, I have the uh, flair. I like the uh, the Oregon Duck thing because I think originally it's like how Joe Vandal's helmet is. You know, he's got the wings. I actually cool. think if anything, the lacrosse team rocks it. If you actually rocked the the wing jersey and made our helmets look like Joe Vandal's helmet, I think that'd be pretty tight. 
I do too. Yeah. I do too. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it'd be tough to see it in the new pride gold. I would like, to, I don't know how that would look. Yeah, true. Uh, so, but, but, um, I can't tell you, I'm not a fan of the pride gold for the most part, but I actually do like our whites coming out. Yeah. I actually do like our whites. Yeah. So you, they're simple, but they're not over. We're not too much. Perfect. Haven't seen them, but they look great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, we kind of silenced you there, Brian. Is, some of your last like thoughts on what we said, or your favorite combos, and then we'll we'll move on to closing the bar. I did some quick research, looked at some old uniforms from like the '80s ish, early '90s, and you know, Alex talked about like yellow, yellow pants or like gold pants, uh, white uniform, or like you, you talked about having a gold rush. We could easily do that. The like some of the old, just looking at some of the old uniforms, the way they would have yellow, the pride gold pants, pride gold helmet, it still looked fine. And I, I, I don't know, man. I, I think that the, those those combinations might look, look look a little better than a lot of black with a lot of the pride gold. Uh, but you know, shifting to the logo thing, my hot take: the older you look at the Idaho logos, to me, the better they are. Um, I really like the the flaming heads one. Um, but I also really like the Grumpy Joe. If we, I, I think fans would actually love it if, you know, you, Alex, you talked about the way the decals can change or the color of the helmet can change. I bet fans would be ecstatic if they they came in to a game at the Dome and the helmets had the flaming heads on, on the logo, just for one game. Probably. I need to. I need to talk to some equipment guys. And I have their numbers, so yeah, we we follow them. We, we we like a lot of the stuff they do. We're saying if we give ideas and you like them, we're not prideful people. We just want to see them done. I've uh, actually heard real quick. I just thought about this. The helmet is not white. It's not the Vegas gold. It's gonna be some version of pride gold. I forgot to say that. Haven't seen it. Don't know quite what it's gonna look like. But just heads up, it's gonna be the new gold. Yeah. So so. Keep that in mind. I love. Uh, yeah, I'll say. I I'll, I miss the white. I actually really love the white. Um, and and I think so. I guess I want to talk to you guys real quick. We'll, we'll go around some of because obviously they've not made this one a surprise. Like I wasn't going to talk about it until now. They're announcing they're getting new jerseys, so I feel like we're free to talk about it a little bit. But uh, what were some of your favorite surprises? I mean, I know Alex, you were on the team, so maybe you weren't as surprised by some of the stuff. Like for instance, I know me. I specifically remember Dad's weekend uh, when we came out with the black pants. And we actually finally had the all-black look to that black helmet with the gold sparkles that nobody knew had gold sparkles, which was just something that Oregon was testing. And then apparently it looked so bad on us, they decided they weren't going to do it. But I still love it. Uh, I I remember them coming out with those pants. And I just I don't even remember who we were playing. I just remember going like, oh, my God. You know, I'm with my girlfriend at the time at this game and her dad third or fourth time meeting him first time at a football game and i'm just like going nuts about how cool i thought we looked in these black pants and i'm just having a blast about it. i'm like we look so good we look so intimidating like i bet you we win this game i'm gonna log on to my bookie right now and i'm gonna put some money down like we're gonna win this game like we look so fierce and then first thing uh, her dad says it's the same pants that baylor and cal wear and i'm like oh crap it is and they're both bears well yeah why the heck do we have bear pants Nike templates, man. But I will say, I I was like, when they came out, I was like jumping up and down, holding the mouth. Whoa, they look so freaking intimidating. So I don't know if there's any moments like that from you guys where you were like surprised 
by some like like the Montana people when they came out in those coppers. They talk about that all the time. Nobody knew. They kept that very well under wraps and that fan base still talks about it. Oh I'm, I'm less great on answering this kind of question. Uh, because when I first was a Vandal fan, um to put it mildly, I was let's just say not quite that aware of a lot of the stuff in front of me. But uh I know that a few of Okay, Chris, sorry, I got to stop this real quick. Um, I just found this website that you will love, Chris. It's called Behance, B-E-H-A-N-C-E.net. That is my article. That is my article. (laughs) Yes. Okay, I'm going to stop stepping on this. From from Toby Um, Toby Garner? Yeah, there's it yes. has some uniform rebrands. Yeah, that, that is that is the the hinge point of the article, and I have his okay to use all his stuff. So, uh, but yes, that is what got me on this subject. So good finding. But yes, now you see the wings that I'm talking about. Aren't those sick? Yeah, and and for listeners, it they they don't look like wings the way you would think of like with the ducks. No, they like you can tell this wing is supposed to have like more of a militaristic look. Yeah. It's Joe mm-hmm. Vandal's wing. Chris kind of yeah, cool. that question. Um, surprises for me. Uh, it was Boise state in, was it, was it Oh nine or was it Oh seven? And we came out and we only had the block eye on the helmet. Yeah. And that has only been worn one time, actually. Yeah, that was that was oh nine, I think, against Boise. Because yeah. in Boise, because there's a what? good picture I only know because the article where Dion Jackson's doing like a high step into the end zone with it, and it is. But boy. that that uh that block guy was a surprise. Um, for me, when we got the gold helmets in 2015, it was we didn't get them till our last game of the year against Texas State. That so they came in. Coach Coach P told us what was going on. Uh, and that was a, that was a nice surprise, or even just seeing when we had the team reveal first time with the new gray uniforms. Yeah. Um, we could mix and match, and we're getting a gray helmet, and we have a gold helmet, and all our mix match things we can do. That was probably uh, for me the biggest surprise. A little bit more in house stuff, but still, yeah. um, they did like a fashion show at uh, it was at Pie Hole, uh, right? Uh, yeah, we had to go to that. It was in the uh, where was uh, Martin the Square? Uh, yeah, where the barbecue uh, place is now. I can't think of the the pizza place, the restaurant there. Yeah, I think it was Pie Hole, right? Or were they well, gone by then? Pie Hole. Yeah. Anyway, that was that that was cool. Closing the bar. Thank, glad you guys joined us. Next week, not Tuesday. Like for those of you watching on YouTube right now, so shout out to those of you that listen to the podcast. If you ever want to watch it a day early, typically on Tuesdays going forward, we'll be live. Next week is the season finale. Uh, Brian and I will be taking some time off from June to about mid-July, pending what happens with the season. We'll be covering any breaking news. We're going to be taking a break, but we're going to end it the right way with what we promised you guys back in April or March, whichever it was, April. The spring game, the FCS versus FBS. Confirmed guests, Alex Boatman is going to be there. I know we've got rumors that A.J. Wooden might be joining us. But Cowan will be on. He is confirmed. We have the Black and Gold podcast from Appalachian State confirmed. We have Crimson Crazy from New Mexico State confirmed. We're very, very close to confirming a time and or way to get a Coastal Carolina fan on. So we've been putting in some work. It's going to be live for those of you that watch the YouTube show. For those of you that don't, no better time than go to YouTube.com backslash Tubs at the Club and subscribe because we have scheduled where people are going to be coming in. 
upgrade our technology to hopefully blow it off without a hitch. If that is not a possibility for you, it will still be available, just probably not on Thursday because if we usually do these Tuesdays, it takes me two days to edit everything like that. Expect it like Saturday, maybe Sunday. But if you want to watch it live, which we're hoping for because we want people to interact, we're going to have people on. They're going to talk their points, FBS versus FCS. Obviously, we have people that are New Mexico State, which went the opposite route from us after being booted from the Sun Belt. You have App State, which left the FCS and seceding, you are succeeding. You have Coastal Carolina, which left the SCS as a power and is now faltering. So we're kind of we're trying to get every point of view, including former players. Uh, we're trying to, if any of you are interested, I know I'm thinking about reaching out to a couple boosters. We just want opinions, so make sure you can comment below. We'll broach topics, but we're gonna have people on about five ten minutes. Then we'll kind of all rehash what they said and have our own little kind of discussion. It's less of a debate, more of an airing of grievances, which we said. But we want you guys to be a part of it. Also, make sure you follow the Tubs of the Club survey. It's uh, pinned on the top of our Twitter. We will probably post it on all vandals for some of you that don't use Twitter. We want to hear from you guys that listen to the podcast. Uh, what we could do better, obviously, AQ was a suggestion on people you want to hear. So we have stuff like that. And we use it to better the podcast and some of it. There are sponsor questions because we have to start part of the reason we take time off in June is figuring out who's going to help pay for all this next year. And uh, we've got to have some time to find out how much Montucky wants to be a part of it next year. But um, we're happy with them. We hope we hope they're happy with us. But that's all I got. So check out oh, date off the top of my head. I don't have it. But next Thursday – um, at 6 o'clock, so we'll be earlier than normal, too. Uh, we're going to have the FPS FCS. That's May 28th, uh, and to make sure you take the poll. Alex Boatman, how can the people find you, and what do you have going on in your life? Yeah, follow me uh, at BoatmanAlex on Twitter. Uh, going on, just, just finishing up University of Washington. Don't know where I'll be at. You know, Next time this uh, podcast happens after the FPS FCS episode, uh, we'll see. Um, you know, what I'm going to do in the spirit of both Chris and I are in Everton jerseys. Uh, if you can guess the player name on the back of my jersey, name and number, I will uh, Venmo you cash after you got DM me. If you get it right, uh, I'll, I'll Venmo you $5 for a tub of the club for uh, you can get some nice Coors Light or you can get a Montucky for yourself. That'd probably be the best way to do it. Yeah. But real quick, disclaimers, Colton Thrasher, Ed Hall, you guys could not guess. You know this answer. Colton, I know you're watching right now. Um, do not answer this. Uh, I know, I know you're going to try and do it. So you're not getting that from me. So find me on Twitter at Bowman, Alex, give me a follow. Uh, you get the name and number, right? It's Everton blue. Umbro figure it out. Premier league. You get free tub of the club on me. Then nothing better than a tub at the club. Other than if they filled it with Montucky, but Brian Marceau, how can the people find you and have, what do you have going on in your life? Find me at Brian Marceau on Twitter. That's M-A-R-C-E-A-U. And at this point, man, I'm I'm just stoked to close the season down, get the airing of grievances taken care of, and do just like Rob Akey said on our interview. We got we got to own it where we're at. Exactly. And uh, you can find me at Chris underscore P underscore Hammond on the Twitters and everything like that. Make sure you follow Tubs of the Club on all the social medias because we are all over the place all the time. We are super excited for next Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific, FBS versus FCS, airing of grievances. Turn the page when we restart middle of July. And it is all looking forward to that 2020 Big Sky Championship. Thank you guys for tuning in. Enjoy an ice cold Montucky just like we did. And we will see you guys on Thursday. Best time for the best band in all the land to play us out. Go Vandals. Go Vandals.